Amen. It's good, amen. Yeah. If I could translate Preston's prayer. One day y'all are going to break loose in here. Quit messing around. Quit messing around. We are in our re-envisioning series. And uh, this has been, it's been moving along for a while now. We, we started at the beginning of the year, towards the end of last year, actually. And we've been walking through essentially our purpose. The goal is to just remind us and to tell everyone who's new here why we exist. Why does this brand new church exist? Why was there another church needed? Why? What is the point of our church being here? And we say it like this, that our church exists to make disciples and those disciples look like something. They are followers of the Lord. They are feeders of other sheep and they are those who engage in freeing the world. And we spend a chunk of time. And frankly, we spend the majority of our time, even when we're not talking about our purpose on our first purpose. What does it mean to follow this God? Who is he? Who am I? What is the proximity? What does the nearness look like? How far am I supposed to stay away? How close am I to draw near? Am I supposed to be beside him, behind him, in front of him? What does it look like to be a follower of God based on who he is and based on who I am, based on what he's done to bring those two very different things near? We spend the majority of our time because we think everything else trickles down from there. If you if you get that, if you get who God is and who you are, you get how that relationship pans out, what he's done to bridge the gap of that relationship. Then you start to understand everything else just begins to fall out from there. So we spend the majority of our time there as we have in this series. And then we move directly into the next part of our series. And we talked about the relationship of the body of Christ. How do we get along even when we don't get along? What does that say to the world? What does that say to each other? What does that say about our God? What does that say about us? And we spent some time there. We're currently in the the last part of our series. We call it freeing the world. And we're talking about our responsibility, our relationship to those who are not part of the body of Christ, those who are outside of the body of Christ, who have yet to get a glimpse of who this God is and respond to his great love for them. And we have a part, as we talked about last week, in that great epic romance love story where God is giving a gift to the son of souls, a redeemed humanity. And we found that we get to play a part in that epic motion picture, right? We get to play a pivotal role, not only as part of the gift, but we get to be part of preparing the gift, preparing the war reward for the lamb who was slain. Today, we're, we're going to talk about uh, this thing of evangelism a little bit more. We said as we started this part of our series that only those who are willing to give their life up to the king, give their life up for the work of the kingdom, which is evangelism, only only those who are willing to carry the cross, take take up their cross and their life, their plans, their ambitions for the sake of God's plan and his ambitions for us and through us, only those who are willing to give up their lives will actually be a part of this thing that is evangelism. And we we spent a couple weeks there because that that's crucial. You don't get any further unless you're an abandoned soul to the king. You're not going to be doing work for the kingdom unless you're an abandoned soul to the king. So we spent a couple weeks there. Uh, Christianity, I found, uh, and, and you get this if you understand your relationship with God correctly, um, it, it's really a pride killer, isn't it? And so to say that unless we we take up our cross and we end our lives, we're never really going to give ourselves over to this responsibility, this pleasure we have of being a part of giving the gift of doing evangelism. 
with our pride in the way we never become a part of that. And that just makes it makes sense. Right. When we talk about evangelism, that, that Christianity has to be a pride killer, especially in regard to our evangelism. Right. Because when it comes to not only being a follower of the king, but going public with our affections for the king, we can't have any pride, can we? Pride gets automatically in the way. Our king and the message of his kingdom are complete foolishness to this world. He is confounding to this world. It follows then that our preaching of that gospel would then be foolishness to the world, right? And therefore, we become fools in the eyes of this world. And that just makes sense. So you see why pride has to be dealt with. Uh, I teach a, uh, a course in uh, local high schools. Some of you know this. It's a, uh, Preston kids me, it's, I teach a sex course, but it's, a, it's an abstinence-based sex education course that I teach in ninth grade health classes. And uh, one of the things that I, I always start with, I typically, we do eight days in the schools, and I usually do the first day and the end day. I kind of start things off. And wrap things up and then they send other people in professional nurses and things in the middle to talk to the kids about uh, potentially uh, life changing um, issues like STDs and HIV and untimely pregnancy, etc. And here I stand, you know, before these ninth graders and I, and I understand I'm not I'm not in high school anymore. I'm not as cool as they are. I don't dress as cool as they do. My hair's not cool like theirs. Uh, I don't talk cool like they do. And, and I even tell them that I say, hey, you know, day one, let me just tell you, I know I'm not as cool as you. OK, I'm not. I'm not that far removed, okay, where you shouldn't, where where you should just like totally write me off, right? But please, uh, I get that I'm not cool like you. So number one, let's just lay that out there. Number two, I I tell them that um, I'm under no assumption that for me to come in and talk to them about being absent, about being a virgin until they get married, will in any way be the cool thing for them to do. Right. Because they automatically assume that I'm coming in and I'm telling them that sex is bad. It's gross. You shouldn't do it until you're like 65. Just because I'm some old fuddy duddy who who's out of touch with what's going on in the ninth grade. And so I tell them, hey, I get that I'm not as cool as you. But what I want you to know is that I know that you won't be any more popular if at the end of these eight days you agree with us and say that the best plan for your life is to remain abstinent until you're married. That's not going to give you any cool points. You're, you're not going to be more popular because of that. And, and they're focused on me now. And then I follow that up and I say, but that does not make it any less true, right or best for your life. This path of abstinence until you're married. Is that right? And they say, well, yeah, that, that's right. I say, now the ball's in your court. If you come to the point where you agree with us that it is the best way, the right way, the true, the true way for for your life to go so that your life doesn't get thrown in some ditch somewhere. You don't find yourself on this massive detour of life so that your college plans, your career plans end up on this on this long track instead of the fast and straight and narrow track. It's not going to make you any cooler, but it doesn't doesn't mean it's not the right and true and, and best thing to do. I sometimes I sometimes feel that way about um, us and our humanity, our pride when it comes to the gospel. The ways of Christianity won't likely make you popular in the world, right? Following Christ isn't going to win you a popularity contest. 
We are, in fact, remember, strangers and aliens. And I think Scripture not only gives us that perspective for us to see ourselves as strangers and aliens, but I think that it, Scripture assumes that the world is going to see us and have the perspective that we are we're strange and we are alien. We are, in fact, we're like foreigners to this world. Okay? And so this thing of evangelism, pride has to be cast aside. Yeah? We have to take up our cross if we're going to get in that thing. If we're going to go out there and tell people about our love for this God that they can't see, okay, that on on some surface levels from what they've been told in biology class doesn't make any sense. If we're going to tell them that we have this great, deep affection for that God, you better believe that it's going to be foolishness to them and it's not going to make us any more popular. We have to cast our pride aside. You have to be one who takes up your cross and is not worried about your your own image, if you're going to do that. And frankly, I think this is probably the number one reason we don't share the gospel. That we are prideful beings, that we don't want to be different. We don't want to be outcasts. We don't want to be set aside or put in another category. We don't want to be voted off of the island. We want to be accepted and included. We don't want to appear silly or naive or foolish, do we? And sometimes I think of that moment where the Spirit is saying, this, this person needs the grace that you've received. I know in my heart, I'm guessing in yours, there, there are all those things that run through my mind. This guy's going to think I'm nuts. This guy's going to think I'm, I'm crazy. I'm an idiot. Very often our pride keeps us from doing what is right, best, and true because it doesn't make us any more popular. So that number one, this is, this is, this is all introduction, by the way. I haven't gotten to the deal yet. So um, why we spent so much time on you taking up your cross as a part of your evangelism? Because, in fact, if you don't do any of that, the evangelism nuts and bolts won't make any sense to you. It really, you can amen it, but it won't do you. It won't do you much good. In fact, the next uh, 15 minutes or so, you will, you will amen, but you'll most likely not find a real Monday through Friday need for any of the next four things I'm going to say. So here we go. That said, let me give you four, four practical points on sharing the gospel. And uh, the last couple of weeks, let me say this, the last couple of weeks have been kind of heavy. If you've been in service, uh, the messages have been kind of deep and they made you think really hard. This week, I'm going to give you a little bit of break. Uh, I know it's Valentine's Day. And as I was thinking about it, I probably should have preached last week's message on God's eternal love and all that. But I don't think. And so uh, I should have done that message this week. It would have fit for Valentine's Day perfectly. But I'm not that smart. And so last week, you just assumed that I was early on my Valentine's Day message. OK, is that good? That's better than being late. All right. You're not going to get a Valentine's Day message today. Um, but what I want to do for you is uh, I, want to hit, I want to hit the basics. I want to hit the practical points when I think about it of sharing the gospel. What are those practical things that someone once said to me some time back and early on in my Christianity that I think, yeah, those are just Christianity 101 things for evangelism that really uh, I, I might assume that you all know, that we all know. 
but maybe we need reminders of them. I'm not going to give you anything complicated this morning, not anything certainly novel this morning, but certainly something I think that's needed, something that's needed. You're not going to get any quotes from Spurgeon or Tozer or anything like that this morning. You may walk away saying, I knew all that, but I think, uh, as Paul often said, the reminder will be good for you. So here you go. You get three three exhortations, three challenges, all right? and then I'm going to give you one one encouragement. So three exhortations and one encouragement. These might, if you think about it, you know, I, I like to I like to get in a picture idea of how messages work and how I'm supposed to receive messages and even and give messages uh, to me. Today's message, these four points are kind of like something your granddaddy might say to you, you know, plain, simple, not real complicated. Son, let me sit you down and tell you how it is. OK, just the basics. But but we need more more granddaddy talks, don't we? Yeah. All right. So number one. First practical point for sharing the gospel. Number one, you got to know it clear and cold. You got to know it clear and cold. This thing of the gospel. And I don't like to use uh, sales terminology when it comes to evangelism. But I think if you don't take it too far, it's it's useful. All right. So let me say this. If you're not familiar with your product, you're not going to be you're not going to be any kind of salesman. Yeah. If you're not familiar with what you're trying to sell out there to a lost world when it comes to what has God done to bridge this gap, what does grace mean? What is mercy about? If you're not familiar with that product, as it were, you're not going to be any kind of salesman out there peddling this thing of the gospel. Brennan Manning wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Uh, one of the things I always remember in that in that book is early on, I think it's either in the introduction or the first chapter, he paints this picture of us who are out there peddling the gospel, he says. He says, many of us, many of us are nothing more than travel agents trying to sell this luxurious destination that we've never visited ourselves. This idea that we're selling something that we're not really familiar with at all. We're hyping people up on it, but we really don't understand it. So number one, practical point. If I just baseline this whole thing, Christianity, evangelism, 101, what, what would granddaddy say? It's, it's you got to know what it, what, it, what it means. What is the gospel? You must be clear on the gospel message. And you've got you to be so clear that you've got it down cold. Second Timothy two says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, which includes the gospel, which is the gospel. It is the word of truth. You can think of many other passages as well. I'll be honest with you. Um, apart from my pride, this is the one thing that kept me uh, from evangelism for the longest part of my Christian life. That's after a uh, undergraduate in theology, uh, minor in biblical languages, seminary degree. OK. If I look back over the majority of the years of my Christianity, it's this thing of unclarity of what my God is actually and truly and simply even done for me. What is the good news in a very clear way? That is probably the one thing that kept me from sharing the good news more than anything else, save maybe my pride alone. 
It is of necessity that you know what the gospel is if you're going to be in the business of spreading the gospel. That just makes sense, right? I told you, nothing novel. We spent a lot of time here, though, helping to make sure that you know what that gospel message is and helping you to make sure you have a clear understanding of what God has done, who he is, who you are, who you are without him, what he's done to bridge that gap. We spend the majority of our time helping to make sure that picture is clear. If you're not clear on that, okay, if you're not clear on that picture and you're the guy who's sitting here and and you're your spirit desires to live that abandoned, take up my cross life to the point that you are setting pride to the side and you are part of securing the gift that is the reward to the lamb who was slain, i.e. you you feel called to be a more vital and viable part of this evangelism thing. Okay, let me say this. We will bend over backwards to help make it clear for you. All right. If the gospel is not clear enough to you, if it seems too complicated in your mind that you don't think that you could pass it along to somebody else. Right. All great teachers know their know their curriculum cold. It's very clear to them. Because unable to communicate it, you've got to know it very well. If you don't know it, if you feel like, you know what, I don't get out there because I just don't know it very well. You come tell us. We'll give you the resources. We'll meet with you. We'll find a way to make it clear to you. If you have that spark in you that says, I need to be doing this, but I I don't feel it's my pride primarily right now that's getting in the way, but I just don't feel clear. I don't have the information in line. Then you just tell us and we'll help with that. Number two, second practical point. Um, not only do you need to know what the gospel is, clearly, you need to, number two, tell it straight. In evangelism, you gotta, you got to be willing. you got to have the courage and the guts to, to tell it straight. When you are clear on the gospel, that number one part, when you're clear on it, you now can be clear on it. Does that make sense? When you're clear on it, when you've got it understood. Now you're in a position where you can be clear with it and be clear. You must be OK. We can't mince words. We have to tell it straight. Don't attempt to sweeten it. Don't attempt to soften it. The gospel, this word from God, it is, as scripture indicates, it is the sharp two edged sword. It cuts, it separates, it divides. And so let it. Let it. It has an intended job to do in the hearts and the spirit of the lost man. And we have to let it do its intended job. We can't be in a position where we try and package it in such a way that that we soften it. Or sweeten it. Right. God in his in his good news does not need our help in that way. It is an offensive message to human pride, but it needs to be. The message of the cross is to our pride in humanity offensive, but that that's how it was designed to be for it to function correctly. It needs to be that to the human pride. The gospel separates our pride in our humanity from the spirit of the man. And the gospel gets in there and it does it does the fine work of a surgeon that only the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word can do. And we cannot we can't in our 
conveying of it be in the way of that. We, we have to be willing to tell it straight. Remember Galatians 2? Remember when Paul has to confront Peter? Remember that? It says that he, uh, he confronted him to his face in front of everyone else. In verse, verse um, I think it's 4 in Galatians 2, or 14, I'm sorry. Uh, he says something interesting. He says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, that's when Paul says he has to step in and make things clear. When he saw that this gospel was being somehow tweaked or tainted, he said, this is when I have to step in. And even if it's Peter, the gospel need not be helped. So we need to know it clearly and cold. We need to tell it straight. Number three, you got to live as though you actually believe it. Makes sense, right? Evangelism requires that the evangelist live as though he actually believes it to be good, true, right, and the best news we have to offer. Our lives must line up. You know, everywhere you go in the epistles, particularly, you find passages addressed to the churches, uh, exhorting the church to make sure the church doesn't get in the church's way. That make sure our life and our lives together don't get in the way of what we're here to do while we're still here on earth, namely evangelism. Over and over and over, we find epistles addressed to individuals, church groups saying, church This cannot be true of you. It cannot be true of the church, because if it is, if this is how we live, then we nullify the message with our very life over and over and over. Wherever you go in the New Testament writings to the churches, you find that common theme. This is uh, it's a good thing, too, right? It's a good thing because we as the church, we often we often disable the church for friendly fire. And what happens then, in the case of any friendly fire, the opposition always what? They mock. They mock us. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. And so now, not only do we become foolish because of our message, we become foolish because our lives, our lives don't correlate, they contradict the very message we have. You see, our lives must line up with what we say this good news is. Not only do we need to know this gospel backward forward, we need to know it very clearly, very simply, so that we can convey it that way, so that we can tell it straight. We have to, we have to be sure that our lives don't get in the way. You can go to Galatians 5 and 6. You can go to Ephesians 4, 5 and 6. You can go to Philippians 2. You can go to Colossians 3 and 4, etc., etc. And you'll find that to be the common theme to the church Don't nullify your message with your life. Practical stuff. If we're going to share the gospel, we need to know it. We've got to be willing to tell it straight. Don't soften it. Don't sweeten it. Don't tweak it. Don't change it. It has a purpose in the way it was designed to be given. We give it that way. Number three, we make sure that our lives don't distract or disrupt or nullify that Message And let me give you the fourth one. Those are your three exhortations. Let me give you one one word of encouragement or uh, 
Yeah, one word of encouragement or exaltation. Here it is. Trust in the Spirit, not yourself. Pretty basic. Trust in the Spirit, not yourself. And I'll be honest with you, this, uh, this point alone, uh, I had thought to do a whole message on in this evangelism series. It, there probably will be a message on this one point alone somewhere down the road. But your trust when it comes to sharing, selling this gospel news ought not be upon yourself. Now, the reason that is not an exhortation and it's an encouragement is because that should be great news to you. That it's not on you to save the soul of a man. That is the work, the divine work of the Holy Spirit to speak to the soul and the spirit of a man. He uses us as his spokesmen and his spokeswomen. We are to know it cold, tell it straight, get our lives out of the way, and then trust that the Spirit of God will do the work of God in the heart of man because he's the only one who knows what's going on in the heart of a man. Our responsibility is to to give the good news. And folks, rest then. Rest. If you are clear on it yourself, you've, you've given it straight, you've gotten your life out of the way, you've done your part And then the Spirit is there to do what only the Spirit can do. That should be of great rest to you. I remember when I was in high school and I had just become a Christian. A guy named Brother Jody, this this old redneck preacher in uh, North Florida. He he wore these really pointy boots, I remember, in in the same suit every time. And he would yell from the pulpit, but he had a heart of gold. I remember uh, as plain as day, it was a Wednesday night and it was before the services. We always had a Wednesday night meal in our church. And I was, man, I was so burdened because I had gotten out there as a new Christian and I was trying to do this thing of evangelism because it was my responsibility to now tell people about my God so that I not be ashamed of him. And then he wouldn't be ashamed of me. And this man, there was a heavy burden on me and I was out there trying to do it. And there was to no avail. Nobody was responding. Like people would look at me like, you're an idiot. That's foolishness. Everything we've already said, right? which is the response we're to expect from them. But I didn't really know that yet. And I just thought, why aren't, why aren't they receiving this? This is good news. And I was hitting brick wall after brick wall. And I frankly became very, very depressed and guilty about what I thought I was supposed to be doing. But I now must be doing it completely wrong. And I thought I understood it. And I thought I was telling it straight, and I thought my life was in, in such a fashion that it wasn't getting in the way, and still there was no response, time after time, person after person, no response. What's wrong? Is it, is it me? Certainly it can't be God, and it can't be the message. It must be me. I'm terrible at this thing. I quit. I don't want to do it. Right before I got there to that point, I, uh, I went to Brother Jody, he was working with the youth at the time, and he was filling in at different churches. And I remember he was standing in the corner of our fellowship hall right in front of the kitchen door, had his Bible tucked under his arm, just like he always did. And he had this big old goatee and mustache and had his suit on and his pointy boots. And he's standing there, and I'm throwing my trash away. And I, and I said, Brother Jody, why, why, doesn't anything, why doesn't anybody want this news? And he got this big old grin on his face, and he says, Son, let me just tell you, it's not up to you, so don't sweat it. You just keep giving them the news, give them the news. And I'll never forget that it was nothing novel. It was nothing extraordinary. It was the simple truth of the matter that you and I are not the agents of change. 
We bring the news and the spirit of God is the one responsible. And he gladly takes upon that responsibility to do the changing of a man's heart. So have no fear. Take no guilt upon yourself. If you're if you're clear on it, you're telling it straight. You've gotten your life out of the way and you're being you're being faithful to sharing that good news. It is not your job. To convince, talk someone into, sell them on the news. You give them your full heart with all the love you can muster. You plead with them. You beg as often Paul would do. But at the end of the night, you you lay your head on your pillow and you rest assured that the responsibility is squarely on the shoulders of God himself to draw men to himself, to change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. That is great news. That is not your burden to carry church. So if if your excuse has been. I just don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have the right information. I'm not sure I could even explain what God has done in my heart. I know I love my guy. I know what he's done, but I couldn't I couldn't explain it in a clear way because I can't explain it in a clear way to myself. Let us help you. Don't feel like you have to help God in this message. You give the good news as straight as you can, as clear as you can. You get your life in line and out of the way. And that means that men and women, some things need to be need to be checked in our lives. Some sins need to be dealt with in our lives so that our lives do not get in the way. Yeah. Amen. Some of you are not doing this thing of evangelism because your life will not allow it. Day in and day out, your life gets in the way and the spirit says to you, don't don't open your mouth for your life contradicts it in this place. How, how could you? I'll tell you, uh, much of my college career, I got saved in high school, much of my college career. Uh, I most likely and I've told you this before. I had a dear friend who just uh, as lovingly as he could to me. Uh, and I don't know that it was the greatest advice, but I appreciate it. He said, why don't you just not tell anyone you're a Christian for a while? And you get what I mean by that, right? That he he saw that my life, it didn't it didn't correlate. It contradicted. It didn't parallel it. It, it ran. It transgressed the gospel message. And my saying that my God is sufficient for everything in life and for righteousness and godliness would have been a direct contradiction because my life didn't didn't show that there were times in my college life where um, the spirit of God, I'm convinced, said to me, um, don't you dare step to the front when it comes to sharing this message. Now, friends, that ought not be. It is a shame. And I, I, I look back now and I, I say I, that I wasted days for the Lord. Don't waste another day for the Lord due to your life being in the way. Wake up every morning. Ask the spirit to help you. Get yourself out of the way, not shoot yourself in the foot so that if an opportunity does arise to give an answer to the hope that is within you, to defend the faith, to talk about the grace and the mercy that God has extended to you. The guy won't look back at you and say, what? What are you? What are you? Are you serious? Are you serious? And when all that is right, at the end of the night, you rest in peace. That this God who has this eternal love relationship with the son who is preparing this gift for the lamb who is slain. Who has this eternal plan in place that we get to be a part of. He will do 
what he plans to do in the hearts and in the souls of men. He will have his souls. He will do his part. He will be diligent. He will not drop the ball. He will not drop the ball. Know it clear and cold. Tell it straight. Live as if you believe it to be true. And then you just trust. You trust that the Spirit will do His work. Amen? Just a granddaddy talk. Nothing novel. 101. But I hope, I hope maybe that clears a little bit of the path for you. Let's pray.